Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 5, Cardassians. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct. And you should absolutely find and follow us, as I say, every single week, because we are awesome and we have a lot of fun on the uh, social medias. Not so much um, Facebook, but definitely on Twitter. Uh, I think we're I'm particularly funny on Twitter, but whatever. Anyway, find us, follow us. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're going to be doing in this season and beyond, and you're definitely going to want to stay up on all that. So do so, and we look forward to hearing from you. Um, but yeah, so yeah. before we jump into the episode this week... David, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Um, it's a, kind of a busy weekend at work. Residence Day sale, so it's been. It was kind of crazy today. I was like, kind of slow for like an hour, you know, just me. And then around one o'clock, like five different people came in. It was just me trying to help all of them. So it was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Thankfully, I was able to take care of most everyone that was in. So that was good. Um, but yeah, other than that, things are good. Um, I'm supposed to be setting up my new TV. I won. This week, yeah, I wanted, okay. wanted it at work. It's nice. I was going to say, finally came through, huh? Well, I've had it. It's 65 inches. I've had it in my place now for two weeks, but I had to figure out what to do about setting it up. My initial plan was that, you know, it makes sense that it would go in the, you know, the mat, in, in like the living room, you know, that's where I watch most stuff anyway. But if I put it in my room on my dresser, I would have space for it, and that would not require me having to buy like a secondary stand for it, like a 500 piece of furniture to make it fit. So it looks at this point that it's going to go in my room, but I have to I had some move some things around. So I still did buy some shelving just to move some things around in my room, which I just got yesterday. So on Tuesday, my day off from work, I'll be setting that up, moving things around, and finally set up this new TV. So I look forward to that. That'll be fun. I can watch uh, Star Trek in its full intended glory 65 inches <laughs> I was like the say, 90s intended <laughs> yeah so wait a minute you mean to tell me that unlike 90 percent of americans you don't have a tv already in your bedroom oh god no my parents would kill me in fact i don't know if i've told them yet that's where i no, i did i did tell them and it was just one of those things i think i know i remember my mom was like oh man i thought i taught you better or something like that it was just one of those moments where it was like yeah I better not make a habit of this or make it a problem, but yep, it's going there. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't have a TV in my bedroom um, very much growing up, but when I got into college, of course, you know, everything is self-contained in your dorm room, so of course right. the TV is there. Yeah. And man, did I love falling asleep to shows, <laughs> you know, that was just like my favorite thing. And, uh, a habit I tried to break and then eventually brought back, and now I just don't care. It's like it, it's white noise at this point. Something's right. got to be on, playing, right. buzzing around. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah. I mean, heck, now with YouTube being so, you know, uh, ubiquitous, I can do the whole 
there are those videos that have like ambient background noises, you yeah. know. Yeah. So you can softly fall asleep to the hum of the Enterprise engine room. Oh, there you go. If you like. I've you always know. loved the sound of rain. Rain on a, a tin roof of some kind. Oh. Oh, you're you're thinking too simplistic, David. You can fall asleep to again the engine <laughs> of the USS Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think you're, big enough. Is that it? Yeah, you're not. You are not thinking big enough. You can fall asleep to the ambient sounds of Deep Space Nine of our favorite space station. If you want. <laughs> so yeah, you are. You got to shoot for the stars, man. On this, is literally there's anything. These sounds on an endless loop. Um, I've seen everyone. There's one that's like eight hours, ten hours. There's a twenty-four hour one, and it just right. plays. I mean, the only problem that I found is that, of course. YouTube interjects commercials, mm. so you can't turn it up too loud because every so often the commercial oh, will play that's and true. it will be blaring. And just uh. could you imagine, just as you've fallen asleep, all of a sudden the Grammarly commercial comes on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really loud and awful. Liberty, oh, liberty, a... liberty, liberty! Oh my god! <laughs> and the oh. and ads are always louder than the thing that they were. The, always the videos are always louder. It's always suspicious. Worse. Suspiciously louder. Yeah. They're louder. They're clear. They're in 4K every time. Yeah. It's just like I need to get that set up for my shows. Because yeah. man, that's actually true. If you're watching a video on YouTube and your internet suddenly cuts out, like it was earlier for me tonight, it'll go down to a lower video setting and let to play the video. But if that ad doesn't get full resolution, you got to sit until it's ready. <laughs> right. Right. No skipping. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we've been pretty good here this week, you know, gearing up for another week. Um, no school tomorrow, you know, well, so we're going to have to contend with that. Um, as yep. much as there, you know, there's no school, but I, of course, still have to work. Of course. So then I was just like, wait a second. If it's a federal holiday and the schools are closed, does that not mean that I should, one, also be off and two, um, if I have to work, is holiday pay involved? <laughs> so I have a lot of questions yep. um, going into work this week, but we will... We will see. I don't mind. In fact, I'm actually looking forward to the fact that there's no school for my kid tomorrow because that means I don't have to wake up quite so early to go to the gym to also be back right. to be ready for her to get get to school. Now I can just kind of just get up maybe like an hour and a half earlier than normal, go right. to the gym, and I'll be back, and that's it. Right. Good to go. So there you go. Little, there you go. little break. <laughs> and then, of course, also celebrating my birthday this week. I, you know. Uh-huh. Turned 36 on Thursday, so getting up there. 36 years young, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty soon I'll be at the age where, according to everyone else on the internet, my opinion is wholly irrelevant. So (laughs) (laughs) just kind of, I'm I'm rapidly approaching that point. Yeah. So So there we go. If the whole thing is a quiet boomer or shut up boomer. It'll be what quiet millennial, shut up millennial. It just doesn't have yeah, the same kind of ring to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. O- okay, boomer is the is the phrase. I don't think there's a yeah, yeah. one for millennials okay, yet, boomer. but I guess. Okay, millennial. I, I did yeah. see I did see something recently though that was talking. You know the the younger generations talking about millennials, and it said all millennials do is is complain, drink wine, and lie. <laughs> and I've never. Uh, I have never just been so insulted yeah. uh, by something. So, and I was like, first of all, I don't really like wine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Starting so, base, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm going to start. Yeah. Second of all, um, I do complain, but I mean, heck, 
That's the joy of life, is complaining <laughs> about something. And if I don't find one detail, one niche detail to complain yes. about, am I really living? Yeah. Right? Yeah. If That's life is pain, the other half of pain is the pleasure of complaining about that pain. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> and actually, the other thing, lying. I mean, I only lie about the things I make up. So that's <laughs> that's on me. So I don't care what anybody else says. Yeah. Prove that I was lying. That's what I say. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> as, as, as my grandfather used to say, it's only a lie if you get caught. So <laughs> oh, man. I, I will always remember that little pearl of wisdom. So... <laughs> But anyway, we are here to talk about Season 2, Episode 5, Cardassians. Now, did you want to give this recap this week as well, or did you want me to do it? Oh, I think you should do it, because I watched this episode a few days ago, and I don't have it quite as fresh in my mind as I would want to if I were doing the recap. But you always have it ready to go in mind, so... Well, it also helps that I actually rewatch this episode because, and I'll say this before the episode started, this is an episode that for the longest time I did not like. So whenever, when I would, I would do my rewatches, I would often skip this episode. Wow. And, um, I decided, uh, yesterday when I actually went ahead and rewatched it, I decided one to go ahead and rewatch it just to refresh on the episode, but two, to try to pinpoint why I didn't like the episode and, uh, also see if my opinion had changed. So we can get into that later on. Perfect. That's the reason that I rewatched it. A teaser for the episode this time. Exactly. Stay tuned. You get a little piece of Perry psyche. So, <laughs> um, so yes, this episode starts in the replimat, and we see Doctor Bashir having a glass of tea, and he runs into our only resident Cardassian on the station, Garrick. Garrick is drinking something that apparently smells so bad that from across the way, Julian knows that Garrick is drinking said juice. And as they're sitting there talking and, you know, kind of catching up with each other and whatever else, um, off uh, uh, from one of the docking uh, rings comes this Bajoran man and his and there's a little boy with him, a little Cardassian boy. Yep. Garrick, of course, takes notice and they proceed to walk from the docking ring over to the replomat themselves and sit down to the table. Garrick goes over to introduce himself and strike up a conversation with the Cardassian boy. The boy... Bites Garrick, and apparently pretty severely, because Garrick lets out quite the scream. That's true. Um, they then, of course, this, this you know, are they going to press charge, all that kind of stuff? They're in the infirmary talking about it. Uh, Bashir goes to Ops. Apparently, there was supposed to be some kind of mission, some like, officer's briefing. Right. He was late, and he says the reason he was late is because... He was with Garrick, who was just attacked, and you know he's letting them know he was attacked by a Cardassian boy. Cisco indicates that they didn't know there were Cardassian children on the station. Right. Odo's like, "There's not Cardassian children on the station." Apparently, this prompts him to leave. So that I thought that was a very interesting exchange. We'll get to that also. <laughs> okay. Um. So and Bashir tells them what happened, and not even you know a minute after he gets done speaking, that Kira announces that Golducott. Our other known Cardassian um, is on the on the phone, basically, for Cisco. Right. Cisco takes the call in his office, and Golducott's basically like, "I just found out that the sole Cardassian living on your station has just been brutally attacked," and he's just, you know, so concerned. And uh-huh. Cisco's like, "Uh." We literally just talked about this. Yeah. How, how did, did you, you find know? out so fast? Right. <laughs> how did you know? 
And so they do their whole thing where he's just like, I can't believe you're letting this guy get attacked, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, but of course, we're, we're going to investigate. And um, now Cisco is, his interest is Pete, right? right. If, he, if he was kind of curious before, now this thing has, you know, his, his full attention. Right. So, um, so now they go back to trying to figure out what's going on with this, with this kid. Right. They go and meet with the, uh, father of the boy. The adopted father. The Bajoran, right. right the, Bajo- the adopted father who says that, you know, he's, he's a really kind of crotchety old man. And he's just kind of like, you know, we were minding our own business and this Cardassian came up and assaulted us. And that's why my son reacted the way he did all this kind of stuff. And Cisco's just like, Hey, we're just trying to figure out what's going on. He's kind of really trying to be calm, deescalate the, the situation. Right. Um, He's like, we're not necessarily pressing charges. We just kind of want to know, how did you get your hands on a Cardassian boy? And so that's when the guy starts telling them about how, you know, when the Cardassians pulled out of Bajor, finally, um, a lot of their children were left behind as orphans. And they went to various orphanages and everything else. And then eventually, though, some of the Bajoran families started taking in a lot of these orphaned children. Right. And he's just like, even though the boy is a Cardassian and we hate Cardassians, we don't treat him like that. He is our son. Right. We love him as much as he was our if he was our own flesh and blood. So, um, while this is all going on, Bashir is kind of like leading the investigation on his own. He goes to Quark's, he meets with the alien who was uh, seen with the father and son when they first came onto the station. Um, and the and he's like some kind of businessman or whatever. And he intimates that there could be some abuse going on with this boy. Right. Um, and, you know, he just kind of really, yeah, intimates to Bashir that they could be abusing him or making, raising him to hate Cardassians. Right. Um, so now, so Bashir then leaves and they decide that they're going to place the boy temporarily with Keiko and Miles. Right. And this is just while they're doing their investigation. And Cisco tells him again, short term, you'll be able to visit with them. Your, your adopted father later, um, but we need to do this while we're doing this investigation. And he does indicate that he will use force with the father if the father doesn't agree. Right. If, if he doesn't cooperate, we're going to force him. So either way, you're going to have to do what we say. Right. So grudgingly, they agree. The boy goes to stay with the O'Briens. Bashir, back in the infirmary, he's finishing up with Garrick's hand. And he kind of, conversationally, he lets Garrick know that... Uh, Gold Ducat has made contact and that he was very concerned and also that this is all about his attempt to bring home these orphan children. Right. This now piques Garrick's interest. He's like, why would Ducat suddenly be so curious about these kids? Right. Something else is going on here. He was and in charge so, of the withdrawal. He should have right. already known that this was a problem. Why is he suddenly caring? Right. So then we're back in ops, and Cisco is explaining to Dukat, who's on the main screen, about what they're doing, and it may not be as easy as they thought to just send the Cardassian boy back to Cardassia. Right. And then he's like, while we're doing the investigation, it would help if, if we are going to send him back to Cardassia, if we knew he had some relatives that we we're going to be sending him to. And so Goldukat's like, oh, we'll send us his DNA profile, and we'll see if we can find a match for him. Right. And then while this is going on, Bashir appears and he 
thrusts himself into the conversation and starts asking some questions of his own, yes. which uh, leads to a great, a great moment between him and Cisco, uh, yes. who's just like, oh, so you just decided that because you had some questions, you were going to barge into my conversation and just kind of ask away. <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, sorry. He's like, oh, no, no, don't apologize. It's the highlight of my day. Don't, Don't do, do it, it again. again. <laughs> like, the, I will murder you slowly look, if it happens again. Right. Once again, Cisco, the the delivery of the subtle threat, I think yes. that is like, yeah. that is one of the best things about him. But anyway, we'll continue. They send off the DNA profile and um, they're just well, kind of waiting to real hear Real quickly, we should, we should say what Bashir asked. Bashir asked uh, Gold Dukat, why did you leave the children behind? And right. Gold Ducat, who is clearly you know, unhappy with that line of questioning, says he was forced to do so by the civilian leadership. It was not his fault. But right. Bashir says that the civilian leaders don't have control of the military, so he basically calls Ducat kind of a liar, which right. is part of why that whole Cisco reprimanding him thing is so funny, is because he Bashir kind of put Gold Ducat in his place, but that also means that he stressed the relationship that Cisco has with Gold Ducat, but go ahead, go ahead, go, go on. Anyway, so now we're, uh, meanwhile, all this is going on, we're with the O'Briens, and, um, you know, Miles comes home, he sees that Rugal, that's the name of the Cardassian boy, is there, right? and he greets his wife and everything, and he's kind of like, you know, trying to be pleasant, realizes that he, or he thinks his daughter's not there, they're trying to set up for dinner, and he's, he realizes that, Keiko indicates to him that Rugal and his daughter Molly had been pretty much been playing all afternoon. Right. And Molly is now asleep in the other room. Right. Miles gets really upset about this, and he's just like, "These Cardassians, you know, they're not gentle people. I can't believe you had our daughter around right. this, you know, at all." This really upsets Keiko. They move past this. They have dinner. She makes them some kind of Cardassian dish, which looks horrendous it's gray <laughs> it's it's gray and blue kind of greenish it's awful she takes a bite seems to enjoy it Ugh, i don't know <laughs> uh o'brien takes a bite and he's disgusted and the boy doesn't even attempt it and they yeah. both simultaneously push their plates away and i guess that was supposed to be their you know initial finding of common ground here. right um so now in the middle of the night it's you know we we're now with bashir who's attempting to sleep Right. And he is awoken to, I guess, the sound of a door opening. We can't really <laughs> tell. I listened to it a couple of times, couldn't really make it out. Right. But anyway, he's awoken. And who is standing over his bed looking like a predator in the middle of the night? Garrick. Yeah. And Garrick's like, uh, get dressed. According we have to, to go to Bajor. According to Twilight, that was actually the most romantic thing that uh, Garrick could have ever done. You know, I watch you while you sleep. <laughs> First of all, I don't ever want to hear Twilight mentioned ever again. So anyway, I couldn't resist. Sorry, go ahead. Well, resist. <laughs> so then, so now Bashir decides he's going to go with Garrick to Bajor, but they need a runabout. So he goes to Cisco's quarters to ask for a runabout it's in the middle of the night. night. Yeah, they have woken up. They've woken up uh, Cisco, who apparently is borrowing Jake's clothes because he looks horrible <laughs> when he opens the door wearing this yeah. thing. I don't even know. It was just awful. I have I have a problem with their clothes, but we, we'll go into that later as well. Sure. Anyway, 
he asks uh, he asks Cisco for a runabout. Cisco asks why. He's like, I don't really know, but Garrick seems to be really insistent on going. And so, once again, great exchange between Bashir and Cisco. He's like, oh, so, yeah, I don't have a problem with you borrowing a runabout for a mission that you don't know anything about with you and Yen Garrick. Do you just need one? Yeah. Do you want to take all of them? <laughs> And so before he really says yes, he gets another interruption. This is by Gold Ducat, who apologizes for the lateness of the hour. But they have just found out that the boy, based on the DNA profile, is not just any forgotten Bajoran uh, orphan. He is the long-lost son of one uh, Kotan Padar, who is a right. very prominent civilian leader in the Cardassian government. That's right. And... Um, so now it's like very important that these two be reunited. And in fact, Padar has already been informed that his son is alive and is on his way to the station. Okay. Yeah. So um, while that's going on, Bashir and Garrick take the runabout. They head down to Bajor. They start investigating all these um, orphanages and resettlement centers. They find the one that Rugal was supposedly at when he was adopted. Um, it's, beautiful it's a, it's a nice looking place but it's also clearly run down right and um you know the lady that runs the place she's telling him about how their computers don't work there's no computer records or whatever garrick you know re- makes us all realize that he's more than just a plain simple tailor yeah he's able to fix the computer and not only does he access their records from eight years ago but he accesses all of the records from right. eight years ago yep. and gets a nice convenient copy for them to take with them. Right. We do see some other Cardassian orphaned children that right. are there. And, you know, they kind of pluck at your heartstrings a little bit on that when Garrick has to tell them that he is not there to rescue them. And right. they just leave. Yes. Um, let's see. So after downloading all that and they take the information, they leave. They um, are heading back to the station. But Bashir shuts it down. He stops the runabout. And he's like, yes. we're not going anywhere until you tell me what's going on. Because right. I can clearly tell something's up and you're not giving me the whole story. Right. And that's when Garrett kind of lays it out for him that he's like, you don't find it really suspicious that these kids have been orphaned for however long and no one's thought about them. But then conveniently, when the one Cardassian boy comes back to the station, he turns out to not only just be an orphan, but he's like the lost son of this very important person. And Gold Ducat seems to be so interested in finding him. Right. So he's basically telling him, yeah, you're right. There is something going on here. And it's it's Ducat and he's got some kind of nefarious dealing here. Right. We just don't know what the whole situation is. Um, we then see that... Uh, Padar shows up to the station. He goes to the O'Brien's quarters. He talks with Miles first for a little bit. He's trying to explain to him that, you know, don't really expect your son to run into your arms here. That's not what this is. Um, the boys, the father and son are reunited. Turns out that, uh, you know, the last time Padar saw his son, it was at his like fourth birthday party and right. there was an attack and the, his wife was killed. He thought his son was dead. He left Bajor because he just couldn't be around this place where he had all these happy memories of his family. And so, yeah, basically he just thought his son was dead this whole time. He right. didn't really abandon him. He thought his son was dead. Right. So that, colors the story a bit here too um so 
they do the reunification, but Rugal isn't having it, and he storms off into the next room, leaving Padar at a loss. Yes. Now we're going to have to have this hearing. Padar and the adopted Bajoran father are in Cisco's office, and the and Padar is arguing about Cardassian law, and the father's like, uh, "This is Bajor. You don't your law doesn't really work for us." Right. And um, Cisco's like, "We're going to have to do some kind of arbitration." We're going to have to have someone who can preside over it. Both men agree that they are willing to let Cisco be the arbiter of this case. Right. Um, because he's neither Bajoran or Cardassian, and he also is a father. That's so they right. both feel like he could um, understand their side of things. That's right. So now, you know, we, we go to the hearing. We have the Bajoran father, the Cardassian father, Rugal, the O'Briens, Cisco. And uh, then Dukat shows up. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of a surprise. Like, why is Dukat here? Dukat kind of, you know, he's basically like, I'm here as a representative of the Cardassian government, but also in support of uh, Kotan Padar. Yeah, he's we, an unofficial and, representative right, of the government. Not right, official right. business. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So, you know, Cisco starts questioning Rugal. What do you remember? How do you feel? All this kind of stuff. And while that's going on, the doctor and Garrick are continuing their investigation. They're going through all those records that they downloaded. And Garrick realizes Ducat's too clever. He never would have left a record for a trace in the first place. That's right. And so now he's like, we've got to find somebody or something else that would, you know, point us in a, a better direction that shows Ducat's um, his involvement in this. Right. They end up finding the Bajoran officer who wrote the record in the first place. Right. She tells them that she remembers when the boy was brought to the orphanage and that she was brought or he was brought to the orphanage by a Cardassian officer. A, a Cardassian woman. officer, right? Yeah. Woman who was familiar with the boy and even told her what his name was. So clearly they knew he was not over. She even thought it was strange because he was like, most of the kids that we got, no one knew anything about them. And they just were like wholly abandoned. He was right. the only one who was escorted in by an officer who knew his name. Right. And she, re she couldn't remember the officer's name, but she could remember that the officer was on uh, detached service to Tarak Noor, which is the name of Deep Space Nine, what it yes. used to be called when it was under Cardassian uh, control. control. Yeah. So now, once again, Garrett busts into Cisco's <laughs> meeting, and Cisco looks, you know, a little upset at first. <laughs> Third you time's know. the charm, and this time right, it's not the right. time you want. <laughs> Our overeager, very young doctor runs in, and he starts asking his series of questions, and he kind of lays it out for everybody to see that, yes, this was all done basically so that one day it could embarrass Padar because yes. we find out that when the Cardassians pulled out of Bajor, that was a decision that was made by the Cardassian civilian government, much to the objection of the Cardassian military. Dukat lost his status and position and standing when they pulled out of Cardassia because he was the Bajoran, or not the Bajoran, he was the Cardassian in charge right. of Terranor at the time. And that Kotan Padar was the civilian member of the Cardassian government who led that charge to pull out. Right. So we recognize now that basically what happened was Gold Dukat stole Padar's son. Right. And hid him away in the hope that one day he would be able to embarrass 
uh, Padar because we right. find out that to Cardassians, family is everything. Right. And if it ever come out that Padar had really abandoned his son instead of taking care of him like he was supposed to, right. this could lead to his downfall in Cardassian society. Right. And that was what Goldukat was going for all along. He asked Goldukat a series of questions, increasingly hostile and on the defensive. Goldukat eventually just leaves the meeting without really answering all of the questions. Right. And that ultimately gives them enough, gives Padar enough leverage that as we see when this is over, even though he won, he now right. gets to take his son home. He's more concerned with the fact that he's got leverage over Dukat. And when Cisco yeah. intimates to him that, hey, now with this leverage, you also have the ability to help all those other orphans and bring them home, Badar kind of, you know, flakes on that a little bit. So yeah. apparently, as as important as family is to Cardassians, political might, political power is more important. Yeah. All he's and concerned so, about is that Gold Ducat is would be humiliated if this came out. He would be humiliated if this came out. So neither one of them are going to bring up the orphaned, abandoned child. Exactly. That's just going to be off the table for both of them. Yeah. Stalemate. Yeah. And so, again, Padar and Rugal are reunited. We don't really see what happens with the Cardassian father, how he feels. The Bajoran father, whatever. Yeah. yeah, the Bajoran father, how he feels about any of this. Right. But the episode ends basically with um, the, fa- the Cardassian father and son, they're leaving. Right. And... Um, that's essentially the episode. Well, there's one final okay. thing. When Bashir tries to talk with uh, Garrick about why did you do all this, Garrick is like, look, all the pieces are there available for you to figure out my motivation and why I'm here. But he leaves it at that, which uh, right. I'm definitely going to ask you if you if I, if oh. I should have missed if I missed something there. But yeah. But that is the episode in a nutshell. I was I feel like I was pretty thorough. Yes. Um. So yes, but if this there one is had a lot of twists and turns, so it needed. It that. did. It was quite the complex episode for a one-off. You know, not done in the two-parter style or anything like that. Right. But um, yeah. But again, that was just the highlights. If you want to see all of that stuff and kind of get more from Garrick here, um, please go and watch the episode and then come back and join us because we're going to talk about it and it's going to be awesome. And I guarantee you, you will feel enriched if you have watched the episode first, right? Before you listen to us, yeah. Yeah. So, first impressions. What did you think overall of this episode? Well, I I definitely think that this is the episode where Dr. Bashir, I feel, really has stepped up and in a way that um, he wasn't... Yes, he got on Cisco's nerves in this episode, but we as the audience uh, were on his side every time he did. We always understood his motivation and knew that he was getting to the truth with what he was doing. So he actually was, um, this was like a, this was a improvement for him as a character and uh, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, Absolutely. Um, as I indicated earlier, this was an episode that for the, you know, for a while I skipped. It was not one that I enjoyed that much. Right. And, um, I, as I rewatched it, I was trying to figure out why that was, you know, and I think it really has more to do with, um, the outcome of the episode. The fact that there was such a big deal made about 
the Cardassian orphans. Yes. And then we never saw a resolution to that. You know, right. yeah, Padar got the information they needed and he was able to reunite with his son. Right. But we saw there were several other children that were left there. And yes. we don't know what happened to them. Right. So it just seems like for there to be such a push to publicize the fact that there are these orphan children. Right. The fact that there's no real resolution for them kind of upsets me. So Right. And in watching it again, especially now, all these years later, and I actually, you know, I am a father now. Um, <laughs> it it did it bothered me even more. But at least this time around, I appreciated the twists and turns of the episode. Right. More. So I enjoyed that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one definitely is very interesting. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's, it asks a question that's very poignant and it's you know if if your abuser or abusers left an orphan child and you stepped up and started taking care of that child what would happen what, what would that look like um you know this this little cardassian boy uh, i forget his name at the moment is it turok rugal rugal i'm sorry I don't know where i got turok from rugal um he he wears the earring of the bajorans he says he hates Cardassians, but he hates being a Cardassian, and he asks, you know, like, what does that mean for him and his life? And you feel for him, but then you're also concerned, like, oh, wait a minute, what if the Bajoran family that's adopted him really are abusing him, and it actually is not good that he stay with the Bajorans? Because we know the Bajorans aren't just a bunch of, you know, angels. They they definitely have some some bad apples amongst their group, too. Um, but like, this is the first Cardassian we come across that isn't manipulative, like Garrick, or isn't, you know, like a, a villain, like Gold Ducat, like, right. We, we as far as we can tell, he was a, a good man, but right. was a good man. Was he a part of the occupation of Bajor? Yes. But we don't really know what all he did. Like right. as O'Brien points out. To Rugal, you know, you can't hate all Cardassians, you can't hate all Bajorans, you can't right. hate all Klingons, you can't hate all humans, you know. Right. Just as much as there are bad ones, you know, and there are bad ones, there's basically there's bad ones in all those groups, but there's right. also good ones, you know, and he's he's living proof. I mean, like there were, you know, there were Card you know, Bajoran terrorists, sure, but he's with a family that took him in. Right. Shows that there is a level of, you know, you know, love and compassion and stuff there. And and it seems like um the implications, or, or not the implications, but the uh, the accusations against the Bajoran stepfather or foster father of abuse, right, seem to be wholly unfounded. Right. In fact, they even say that the businessman who leveled those um, accusations, they can't find him anymore. It was like he was around just long enough to make the uh, statements, and then he was gone. Huh? You know. I don't remember uh, them saying that exactly, but you are certainly yeah. right in terms of like the story never brings him back up again. Oh, he's, and he's, he's really good at Dabo. Really good at Dabo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um so yeah, he um but yeah, he they they do say it that, you know, when they went back to find the man who made the accusations, he was gone. They right. didn't know, you know, so it seems like he was just around just long enough to kinda get the ball started here, which almost makes you think that again he was a plant by Ducat to get right. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it does bring up an an interesting cultural point about people who adopt children 
of different races. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, we have that, that happens here on, you know, on our world, you know, right. there are plenty of people who adopt children, um, of different races. And, you know, there's the concern of a lack of cultural understanding or significance right. in raising that child when they're in that kind of different household. Right. So, um, before we say anything further, like, what do you think should, should people be allowed to adopt children from different races? I mean, yeah. I mean, I can tell you that like the pastor of my church, he, he's a white man with a white wife and two white children, but he has adopted a black boy from, I forget where, which country in Africa, but, um, so he has a black adopted son. And so I know that he loves all of his children adopted or otherwise. And, um, that is part of his story. And he, you know, it's who he is and what he does. And, um, I've definitely had some questions about that myself, frankly, like, why would you go all the way to another country to adopt? Like were weren't their children maybe closer by in the, in Austin or in Texas or otherwise that you could have adopted. But, um, I never personally asked him those questions. Those are just me talking about that out loud. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that that should be allowed. Um, but there's always questions associated with that. You know, like, how does the child feel about that when they start to realize their identity? Um, and that's true of any adopted child, I imagine. I am not adopted, so I don't know exactly how a lot of adopted kids deal with those questions. But I imagine that is compounded um, when, uh, you know, racial questions come up. That, especially in this story, like, this kid, he's got both bad. He's got the bad end of both ways. Like, he doesn't like who he is, but... He can't, well, we never see him interacting with other Bajorans much, so we don't see how they interact with him. But we do see O'Brien, when he hears that Molly was playing with him, he starts talking to Keiko, and he's like, don't you know he's a Cardassian? And she tells him to his face, I do not like what you're saying right now. I do not like this response. Um, And and for those who might not be familiar, we have to remember that uh, O'Brien fought in the Cardassian Wars some 20 years previously we actually get a taste of this in uh next generation when his old captain captain maxwell hijacks hijacks his ship or uh, basically goes rogue with the ship and starts attacking the cardassians again right we find it and we find out all about the the past they had that's another good episode o'brien it is and o'brien really you know he's he struggles with the Anger and apparent racism he has developed towards Cardassians because right. of his war experience. Right. And so now, here we are seven years later, and he's kind of thrust back into this situation. And it's interesting because he's working on a Cardassian station. Yes, it's in the Bajoran sector, but, you know, the Cardassians are around and they're going to be around. They are a presence here. Right. And now here he is once again um, having to deal with them. And right. he's just pretty much of the opinion of, I don't want to have anything to do with them if I can help it. Right. And so to find out that his daughter has been playing with these people that he just doesn't like, doesn't trust. Yes. Right. It's, um, it's a very hard thing for him to grasp. Right. And so some people may feel like it's understandable because of his past and everything else. But even as he goes on to intimate throughout the rest of the episode, you know, as he said, you know, you can't hate all of them for the actions of, a few, and you also have to look beyond 
uh, race here. You can't just, again, just that whole group of them, that whole race of them is awful. And that's even what Keiko reminds him of when he says, you know, uh, what did he say? Gentle was bred out of these Cardassians a long time ago. Yeah. And Keiko immediately gets in his face. He's like, that was a very ugly thing that you just said. That's exactly you know? right. And yeah. she is correct. Yeah. Like what he said, like I remember when I first watched it and I heard that and I thought that was so out of character for right. O'Brien. It's, it, it's, it sounded so right. awful. Well, it's interesting it. about that scene too is he never really expresses – I don't remember at least. He doesn't express any regret for his statement. It's not like Keiko says that was an ugly thing. Right. And he goes, oh, you know what? That's right. I I'm should... sorry. I'm sorry. Right. But then later that night when he's talking with Rugal and he's like, well, you can't hate all of any particular race. I mean, you feel like he's BSing in that moment, frankly. It's like he, oh, uh, I got to talk to the kid. I got to say something nice. Oh, yeah. Cardassians. I love Cardassians and Majorans and humans and, and every kind of race and Vulcans. And it's like, damn, O'Brien, like, that's what a quick 180 you just did. Um, right. And I mean, that's always the thing about shows like this and, you know, the suspension of disbelief, because it, you could almost say it could have been a couple of days from. Right. That's the first scene where he was being so racist, and then the next scene where he's like, you can't hate everybody. Right. Maybe he's had time to kind of like sit and reflect and realize he needs to, well, you know, grow up a little bit and right. and also kind of let go of this long-standing hatred that he's had. Right. You know. Right. And and but that's also it's also very consistent with O'Brien's character. Again, if you think back to the Next Generation episode, because even in that episode, he's just like. For the most part, he's just like, I don't understand what the big deal is, but his interactions with Cardassians throughout that episode are increasingly hostile right. and, well, racist. There's just no other word for it. They are. Right. And then he even gets to the point where he, you know, he tells the guy, you know, one of the Cardassians, you know, who is just trying to, you know, talk to him, socialize and tend forward. Right. He's just like, I don't hate you. I hate what I became because of you. Right. And then it's also later on through his talks with Captain Picard, who kind of reminds him that, you know, like this stuff kind of it can sneak up on people. You don't realize that you've been carrying around this hatred for so long until all of a sudden you're confronted with it. Yes. It's like and that's kind of the challenge that we have here. And especially as Starfleet officers, we don't we don't have the luxury right. of dragging this around forever. We right. have to let things go and move on if we are to be a part of a growing peaceful society yeah and that's why maxwell was such a problem right because the war was over and they were trying to establish a new path with the cardassians and he was messing that up yeah it was so great about that episode too is though he's not entirely wrong like the cardassians are smuggling weapons if i remember correctly or at least they it's insinuated yeah yeah it's like we have we have everything we need except for the actual proof was kind of how that ended yes exactly so yes that's a great episode and yeah, I'm glad you're ta- bringing that one up. I'd forgotten that O'Brien had that history uh, personally with yeah. that episode. So yeah, and that, it really does. It's kind of sad though that in this episode he seems to have backtracked um, for a moment. But Keiko is a good wife. She uh, she responds appropriately and says, "Cut that out." <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually might- no. That's another thing too. O'Brien is a white man who's married to an Asian woman, so it's like he already would seemingly have even more insight into like don't judge people ahead of time, or at least I don't know. Well, I mean, you could, you could say you could say that, but you could also say that again. This is also 
the 24th century. So right. it's perhaps not, the kind of racial stigma would not be as prevalent then. Yeah, human racial yeah. stereotypes are have fallen away in, in favor of alien racial stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Right. You seem to be seem to have been supplanted by the alien other human, Right. You know? Yeah. Um so yeah, his experience with it would be very minimal yeah. at this point, you know. Mhm. But again, uh, still a great episode and a great way to show further character development for O'Brien. The fact that, again, this is like, it's almost like you had to have watched the stuff from Next Generation to see the growth and evolution of the character and understand where he is now. And why such a statement that he made was, you know, kind of a slap in the face, you know? Um, Because like I said, the first time watching it, it just sounded so out of character. Mm-hmm. For O'Brien, yeah. but I was like, okay, if you had, if you, if you had never watched Next Generation, or maybe had only like watched a few episodes here and there, right, right? Mm-hmm. and maybe not the whole arc, you might have missed that develop that part of his character, right. And so to watch this, it'd have been like, okay, here's this guy that for the first, the whole first season, and what we've seen so far of the second season, he's been a pretty stand up guy, right. And for him to suddenly say something that you know is so racist was just like, oh man, like where did that come from? Right. But there's history right. there. There is a history there, and there is showing again this evolution of this character. So I think that that was great, and I think that he, to me, gives one of the even though it's his. I feel like his overall interaction in the episode is brief. I do feel like he gives one of the better standout, consistent performances throughout the episode. Right. For what we see, you right. know, he's very relatable. He's not trying to be this, you know, officer so much. And it's just, you're, this is a man trying to deal with the situation right here, which yeah. again, doesn't seem initially to have much to do with him, but he delivers so well when we do get that interaction with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, um, I hadn't really been thinking too much about his role in this episode. until we started talking about it. Now I was really more Bashir that was in my mind before we started mm-hmm. talking, but yeah, O'Brien gets more of the nuance to this episode and yeah. And he's, and he's certainly not the only one. I feel like, you know, a uh, surprising comic relief award goes to Cisco. Where he's just, he's so sarcastic in, oh. in the way that which he delivers again some of his his other lines. Yes, it was just great. You uh. know, he the the middle of the night in the I don't even know what you want to call whatever that was that he was wearing. But I mean, like he was like, is that is it all you need? You just need a runabout. It's Not. okay for you to interrupt my sleep to come and ask me for a runabout. Okay, yeah. you know, like I love that too. So yes. Cisco, he. He's just so great. Um, I don't know. I just, I loved every bit of his delivery in all of his scenes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it just, I'm just thinking back to the first episode where he's standing in front of Picard and Cisco and Picard are doing their face off. And he has been con- a consistent character throughout. He doesn't hold back. There are no, no. pulled punches. He, he'll say it. And he'll even laugh. Like, I don't doubt that he kind of enjoyed putting Gold Ducat in that awkward position when Bashir showed up in ops. But that really undermined his ability to have a cordial relationship with Gold Ducat. So that might have been fun in the moment, but don't you ever dare do that again. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm just not even 100% sure that he ever really wanted to have a cordial relationship with Gold Ducat. Like, there never really seems to be that kind of. Um, 
I guess reaching across the aisle would be the you know the sure. best way I could think about it. He just seems like he's just he wants to he he definitely wants to try to keep the peace, but he's not opposed to uh, shaking things up a bit. Either, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of you know putting Ducat in his place a bit too. Like he's just like when they found out about um, Garrick being attacked, right, and that he's uh, immediately called into his office. And Ducat's on the uh, the monitor talking about, I can't believe that this just happened. Everything else is like, okay, look, yeah, we just found out about this. Yeah. Kind of like, are you spying on us? You know, the, <laughs> exactly. The delivery of yeah. the, un, the unsaid question. I literally found out it was a minute ago. I think he says like a play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that brings up the question then. So as Garrick insinuates at the end of this episode, there's more to who he is and what he's doing than we have initially thought, or at least we've suspected things, but he's certainly, as he says, there are clues here that if you put them together, you'll know what's happening. I mean, are we supposed to put those pieces together yet, or? I think that we should always be attempting to put the pieces together, especially whenever Garrick is involved. Like, it's just kind of a given that whenever he shows up and starts doing things, there's always more going on than, you know, what we're what we're initially told. Right. And, you know, when he says that, you know, that, um, you know, just kind of look at the table, the clues are scattered about like crumbs, you know, Um, I think it's enough that we can start to look here and see that. Yeah. The, the pulling out from Bajor was not the heroic victory of the rebels. Right. Kira would want everybody to believe that clearly there was something else that was going on here. Right. And we haven't fully got the whole picture. Right. You know? Right. So stuff like this kind of laying that groundwork for future suspicions and episodes. Right. Also things that I uh, really loved. Gotcha. You know? So I definitely want to do two things with Garrick here. So it was in the episode uh, the season one, episode three episodes. It was really early on that we first met Garrick. It was literally basically after the pilot. That was when we saw him for the first time. And so, um, and in that one, he also kind of played a both sides kind of element with uh, what was going on. You know, the 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 sisters, who were they? The 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 two um, Klingon sisters, what are their names? They were Lursa there. and Bator. Yeah, so they had come by the station and were planning on giving um, the... Tantalos. Yeah. Tantalos with the Cone Ma. Right. And he was going to blow up the wormhole. Right. And I forget in this moment what he was doing that was kind of playing both sides with the, with the Cardassians. He was the intermediary, so he was the contact because the, right. the, the Jorans were going to sell the Trilithium to... Tana right. to complete his bomb so he could blow up the wormhole. Right. But then the the sisters wanted to one complete that transaction and get their money from Tana Lowe's. But then they wanted to sell Tana to the Cardassians. That's who right. Were after him for being uh, a Konma. Right. Member. And instead of him selling the information or giving the information to the Cardassians, Garrick instead warns our crew and they help yes, thwart everything. Yes, Cisco. Right. Yeah. So my theory is is that he is a spy for the Cardassians, but not necessarily for the military angle. Like he might have military contacts with Gold Ducat per se, but he's really there more for a like a more peaceful mission. Um, he's not able to expose himself fully as you know being like anti-war or something to that effect. But um, he he's there as a spy, 
but not a nefarious spy. He's there for a, a more of a, a, we could call it a good purpose, more on our side of things, but it's not going to be so you know black and white about it. He definitely exists in a gray zone where like he'll have to maybe play up his relationship with Gold Ducat and the military of the Cardassians, and, and therefore he'll come off as more, if we see him again, which I assume we will, he'll come off maybe more, of that you know darker gray zone but we'll come to realize that he is um actually working for some more noble purposes in the long run that's who i think he is and what we'll find out but that's my theory i mean i definitely think that he he does a great job of coming across as kind of he lives in that shade of gray right that's definitely his thing um whether or not he emerges as some kind of hero, I think that will be, you know, we'll have to just wait and see. Right. Um, but he doesn't strike me as the type who would do things for some kind of noble bent. He definitely seems like he is more into more of a personal angle on everything that he does. And he's particularly That's certainly fair. In, yeah. And he particularly and seems seems to enjoy busting up whatever it is that Ducat is trying to do. <laughs> so yes. um, I I don't know if that's you know if we're if we're gonna are we gonna find out more about why he hates Ducat so much maybe maybe not but it does seem like he gets a, a great pleasure like even in this final scene when you know he kind of just lets Doctor Bashir run wild in the uh, arbitration scene you know and and Bashir is laying everything out. He, um, you just see Garrick standing in the background, grinning like an idiot, like, <laughs> go, man, go, go, yeah. man, go. Like, he's just so proud. I just have to say Bashir. that the guy who plays him, oh, I'm going to have to look it up, but, um, Andrew Robinson. Yeah, there we go. His eyes are so expressive amongst all that makeup. He has this big yes. old goofy looking eye. Yeah, like- he's like, <laughs> he's, yeah, like a madman standing yes. there grinning and his eyes are all wide and he just, he just looks so pleased. Yeah. And even, you know, you said the eyes, you know, going back to when he woke Bashir I up, was just hovering thinking over it. his yeah. bed. That scene alone, I was like, how the doctor didn't have nightmare for like the next <laughs> six weeks behind that? I don't know. I mean, I would have been like double checking the locks on my door, right. had them replaced, reinstalled. Yes. All that stuff. Because there is no way I would have been okay with going to sleep in my quarters again, knowing that, uh, this man could get into my room. I'm telling you, he's part vampire. He's something. <laughs> he's, and he he looks so he looks so lizard like. Yes. When yep. he was hovering there like mm-hmm. that. So again, I just I it was creepy, but it was also well done. Yeah. I enjoyed that as well. While we're on this subject, actually, I need to switch it just slightly and say that those beds that they have them on. This was true on Next Gen too. I mean, I'm a mattress salesman. I look at beds and I can tell you what's going on. They have given these actors the worst beds imaginable, and then they have to pretend that this is the future and this is actually the future of sleep. I'm like, it's clear that they bought a four-inch foam piece of nothing and gave them a wedged pillow and pretend, and then they have to pretend like they're sleeping. No. <laughs> it I looks mean, terrible. You don't, know. you don't know. That could be some new <laughs> space-aged hyper polymer foam that as soon as you touch it it's like nah the way that Bashir was was twisting and turning and the way that the other characters twist and turn on those beds you can tell that they are well, just as uncomfortable as anything now are they now are they tossing and turning because it's uncomfortable or are they wrestling with something internally in their consciousness ah. from being 
from being comfortable. I think that that's, ah. you know, that's this that's the in-universe story. The bed is so comfortable, <laughs> but our <laughs> characters are so deeply concerned with the moral implica- implications of what they were doing. Yes. That yep. day. Yeah. That that triangle wedge pillow is just not feeling good right now. What was happening was Dr. Bashir was having a nightmare of when Cisco really did have to tell him, you know, I told you the one time, don't interrupt me ever again, and now I have to right. bring the hammer, and that's the nightmare that Bashir was having. That's, that's mm-hmm. what's going on. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to me. I'd buy that. <laughs> I mean, because if Cisco ever, you know, did that whole woe-threatening voice thing to me that he did to uh, Bashir, I could see that making you, you know, it's not giving me nightmares sleep. just thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he delivers it so well. You know that "don't do it again" right. bit was fantastic. Right. So, um, and then you know, to go back to Garrick real quick, Garrick has some great lines in this episode, and right. one of my favorites is, of course, his whole the coincidences. This is when they're on the ship, you know, on the runabout heading yeah. back. And Bashir has shut everything down, and he's kind of laid out what the situation was. And he's like, and isn't that a coincidence? And he's like, I believe in coincidences. Coincidences happen every, every day. day. But I, I don't, don't trust, trust coincidences. Yeah. Loved it. Good line, and yeah. Then, yes, and then, of course, the end, his whole thing about the truth. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. I never tell the truth because I don't believe that there is such a thing. Right. And that's why I prefer the simple, straight, line simplicity of cutting cloth. It's (laughs) great. Like, his whole demeanor is is very interesting. It's very intriguing for what we see here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, That's probably why the character is, it'll be fun to continue to try and parse out his motivations because he does a great job of, I don't know, being, I'm trying to find the right word. Uh, uh, he anonymous, yeah. I don't know. I'm trying yeah. to think there's yes. a better word, but that that's the one that comes to mind. So, yeah, anyway. Um, so, I, let me ask you this then. Are we going to see a lot more of Garrick? Is, is he going to be a yes. regular? Okay, all right. Yes. I would tell you this. It's, it's funny <laughs> because he's always listed as like special guest star. Or whatever, right. but there will definitely become a point where he just needs to be cast regular. Like they're just, <laughs> it just needs to say Garrett. Like it says everybody else when you do the little name, whatever. No, and special guest or guest starring, whatever. No, just right. Make him a part of the cast. Yeah. yeah, make him part of the cast. He's a regular, whatever, because he he does. He becomes such a major part of a lot of what we see huh. in the development of the show, and. um I'm I not mean, going to spoil it, but okay. I will say I, I feel like I feel like he consistently delivers well, right? Every time we see him, gotcha. So, okay, okay, uh, a lot we can do there. Okay, all right, yeah, very good. So now, with all this that's going on and the power of the episode, what what do you think that was the least impactful? What could we have not? Uh, wasn't needed, could we have done away with in this episode? Mm. Questions like that are always kind of hard sometimes. Um, We definitely needed less Dax. Dax should have shut up already. In fact, I don't think she said a single line. I can't remember anything she said. Why won't they give Dax any storylines? That's what I'm asking myself. I mean, I know last episode it was about her, but it's like they immediately said, all right, we don't have to worry about her for another season (laughs) kira didn't have much to do odo had very little to do 
Um, a lot of our cast was kind of missing. No more Jake. I haven't seen Jake since. Well, I guess he was uh, since the our little threesome storyline. Um, he had some stuff, but he's he's been kind of gone for a little while. There's no scene that I would say was misplaced. Uh, I think every scene was in its proper place. But again, let me just say it this way: I liked how Bashir. I think his character developed in this episode, and I appreciate that. Um, so I'm not. I'm not digging the episode for that. I'm just every time that an, a character that we are missing is gone, like Dax. You know, I, I we, we can feel it on an episode like this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to. Th- I would say that I feel like next gen did a better job overall of having every character of the main cast balanced in the episodes. And I know that we could probably find examples where that was not quite the case or whatever, but I'm just never, let me say it this way. I wasn't ever watching the next gen episodes with the same fine tooth comb, like we're doing for deep space nine. So if I were doing that with TNG, maybe I would feel differently, but for the moment, I definitely feel like TNG was able to balance their characters a little better, or at least give us the, you know, each one gets a chance and mainly it's because they're all on the bridge together, and we're usually on the bridge, and therefore things that have, you know action takes place there. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm frustrated that still it feels like Deep Space Nine hasn't quite managed to find that stride of all our characters have something to contribute to whatever this episode has to deal with. So yeah, yeah, um, I can definitely see that, and I I don't know if it's just because they you know there was a different uh, goal here with the characters. Or, right. or in their storytelling. Um, but it does seem like it's taken them a bit longer to give us more right. about the characters. And I think that, you know, one difference I'm also noticing too is that with Deep Space Nine, they seem to really only focus on like one or maybe two characters at a time. Right. You know, it. but they definitely seem to be more along the lines of there's a focus of just one per episode. Whereas right. in... Uh, next generation, they tended to be more on the lines of we're going to focus on three to four right. at a time. Right. You know, there was um, there wasn't a whole lot of this clear distinction between A and B plots. A lot of times, the stories really kind of were interwoven and worked together, or there was just an A plot. They didn't really do kind of this B uh, subset there. So yeah, I guess I, what I would say is that in my estimation, it's just that the characters on TNG, and again, I. I mean, I was watching TNG episodes back-to-back multiple times a week, and then here at Deep Space Nine, it's once a week. We're doing a hard dive into it. I would just say that it felt like the characters on TNG were able to fall back into supporting characters easier than our cast on Deep Space Nine is able to fall back into supporting cast mode when they're not the main focus. Well, I also think that's um, a part of the... um the appeal of the show and why it's so different because, you know, with next generation, it was definitely, we were supposed to be seeing these, um, these officers put forward as they are, uh, consummate professionals. They are all at the top of their game. Right. Um, they don't have a lot of internal conflict. Right. A lot of the conflict on the, on the episodes was definitely external to them. Right. External to the ship, external to the crew. Whereas here, with Deep Space Nine, even their external problems, like, again, we have this Bajoran uh, foster father and the Cardassian boy that come under the station, seemingly external, but we see how much it causes a shakeup right there in, in with our crew. Right. You know, uh, Bashir is, you know, really kind of consumed with this worry about the finding out the truth about the boy. We've got um, O'Brien wrestling with his own internal struggles and dealing with this Cardassian boy being in his home. Cisco 
as a father trying to figure out the right thing to do here in regards again to the same boy and like right. so we we are seeing the different personal ways that these officers are handling um this external conflict that's right. not something that we had really seen really in any of the treks before right so yeah a very different appeal to making the officers way more personal right. than what we had gotten before so i think that that's another reason why um like over time, I feel like Deep Space Nine will bear out and sure. become more popular, which we are seeing now anyway. There's a resurgence in interest <laughs> in Deep Space Nine. Right. But it's because of that. It's like we don't have these officers that are just so duty bound all the time. I mean, there is some of that, but we get to see more of their struggle right. with maintaining that. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. One question I had for you is yeah. uh, at the end of the episode, the um, the boy um, Rugal. Rugal. I don't know why I can't remember names sometimes. Rugal. I, I don't know why you're having a hard time remembering Rugal. Uh, well, I mean, there's so many yeah. names that just are so easy to confuse with each other. Anyway, Rugal goes home with his biological dad after having been raised. And seems to want to be with his adoptive father. Now, I personally like the fact that Cisco went with the legal answer of, look, he, he properly belongs with his biological father. Whatever happened with his adoptive father, good or bad, we have found his true father. He should go back with his true father. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's the right decision they made? Um, I do. I do agree with it. And right. um, I... this. Well, obviously, me being a father will uh, does color my answer, but I can remember that even when I watched this long before becoming a father, I agreed with right. the fact that he should be with um, his biological uh, father. Yes, and the reason we have why, no evidence that his biological father ever abused him. Whatever he feels right. about Cardassians as an individual, that's not because he was abused himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, but the reason why is because we find out in the story. That, um, like you said, we never there was never any indications that his uh, biological father um, ever abused him for ever for all intents and purposes. It seemed like he loved his son and that they had a right. pretty you know happy home life. Right. Um, but what also sealed it for me was the fact that we find out he did not abandon his son. Yes. He thought his son was dead. Right. He had been they had been attacked. Their home bombed. Right. His wife was dead. Yes. He thought his child was dead. All information he had was that his family was was gone. Right. So that changed it for me for, uh, for uh, instantly. The moment I found that part out, because you know before all we had found out up to this point was that the boy had been abandoned and that this Cardass or this Bajoran family had taken him in. Right. And so I was just like, yeah, they should just just keep him. I mean, if the Cardassians abandoned him, they didn't want him. Right. He should get to stay with his family. But when I found that, I was like, oh no. Right. He should get to go back and be with his. With his um, biological father. Biological father. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, O'Brien does something that I don't like. And uh, he says to Rugal that you should be telling Cisco right. what you want. Right. Now, the Cardassian boy is a minor. Yeah. And while his, his opinion should certainly matter. Right. Ultimately, as a minor, it is the parent's responsibility to protect and care for their child. Yes. And... His biological father should have the right to do that. Yes. And, um, yeah, I, I really didn't like that. It almost sounded like O'Brien was trying to basically say, no, you should 
you should declare. You should say right. what it is you want. Right. You know. So, and I mean, based upon the age. So Rugal was supposed to be what? Um, let's see. They said that the last time that Padar remembered seeing his son he was, was four. four years old. That was eight and years then, ago. So, so that was eight years ago. So the boy is supposed to be what? Twelve-ish. Twelve, thirteen. Well, I mean, he looked he looked older than that. I don't know how Cardassians age. You, know, so I'll, I'll <laughs> you don't. That. You're the Star Trek knowledge. You're, you're well, I mean, they, Star they, Trek. That's that's one bit of knowledge they don't give us. Is the physiology, <laughs> right? Um, but if the boy is only 13, 12, 13 years old, I yeah. mean, yeah, he there's still plenty of time for him to um, drop the hatred and reconnect with his father. And he should be given every opportunity to do so. And, and Padar right. should be given every opportunity to reconnect with his son. Right. Again, it wasn't his fault that they were separated. And so just to be like, oh, well, you know, essentially, you know, Bajoran finders keepers here. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. doesn't work for me. <laughs> and if they're just so consumed with trying to help Cardassian orphans and right. adopt children, as we also saw, there are plenty of other, uh, children they right. can adopt. Now, I'm not trying to say that the kids should be necessarily looked at as interchangeable commodities. That would also be terrible. But I'm just saying, in this instance, you know, with all this desire to have an adopted kid and everything else, there were other options, especially considering the biological father was alive and willing to right. take his son. Right. And so I was glad that Cisco went with that. Because, I mean, you know, and even now, rewatching it, I was like, I would. I don't know how I would react if, you know, my kid was separated from me for so long, eight years, right. you know, and then to be reunited and um, be told there's a possibility that through no fault of my own, right, right. I didn't abandon my kid. They were otherwise taken, removed, whatever, um, illicitly, illegally, right. you know, uh -huh. um, that now I, I can't, I right. can't have my rights as a parent restored to me. That's no. Right. I, I would absolutely lose it. Right. So, yeah, there is no way. And so, yeah, I was very glad that that was this decision that Cisco went with. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's the proper decision. Because um, in the, I, I think you're actually right in pointing out that O'Brien was, was kind of almost forcing the issue the other way. It was like before Cisco makes that decision, it's like you feel like, He's going to go the other way. Like, we as the audience like the Bajorans. They're the ones that we feel sorry for. They're the underdog. Therefore, we don't want the Cardassians to win anything, including their own children back in legal court. But I'm glad that the episode was smart enough to go, nope, this is actually the proper legal decision. This is the proper decision for the boy's future and his, right. his family life. And so it, I like that, yeah. And I feel like even beyond... beyond um... It being the proper legal decision, I feel like, again just morally, it's the right decision. You right. Know? Um, again, no no signs of abuse at home. Right. Um, he was told that his son was dead, like just everything. And I mean, they it almost seems like too at the end they almost do they set it up in a way that you can kind of not like Pidar because he was so happy with having this information that he could now hold over to Cot. Right. And it was like, dude, you. You seemed so willing to give up everything because you knew that reclaiming your son right. was going to end your political career. But you were saying for the longest time that that didn't matter. But now, now that it's not only not going to end your career, but you also get your son back, you are just like 
you're gloating, but you're gloating in the wrong way. You're, it's not like I can't wait to take my son home and to, you know, start the process of rebuilding our relationship, our bond. Right. It's, um, oh, I've got this thing here and Takat can't, you know, do anything about it. And if he's smart, he'll do what I say because he doesn't want his actions exposed. Right. You know. Yeah. So that seemed to be where his focus was, and I, I did not like that. Yeah, But still, true. I overall uh, agreed with the decision. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, I mean, I, again, couldn't – that's one of the other things I love about this show. Like, it just – the way in which even when we have somebody who should be the clear out-and-out hero – like, if this was a TNG episode, I think it would have ended with the discovery of – Decott's um, machinations here, yeah, and that ultimately we would have seen the two, uh, f- the father and son, the the Cardassian, bar- um, the Cardassian father and son reunited, right, and then that would have been it. Not this, uh, uh, oh, I've got this lever that uh, this leverage over uh, Ducat now. I don't <laughs> think it would have ended on that. I think it would right. have been a very more of a happy moment. Sure, that they would have gone yeah. with for yeah. sure. Yeah. So I hear you. that's that's Deep Space Nine for you. We we love our shades <laughs> of gray. We love yeah. our shades of gray here. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Well, we are coming up right at the end here of the episode, um, and of our time. We've actually gone right. a little bit over, but that's all right because these discussions can get a little lively and I enjoy that. So yeah. Much. Um but any final closing thoughts before we send it on out? Well, if Gold, or if um, Garrick is going to be more of a essential character to these episodes, if he's going to almost need to be added to the cast, as you say he should, I look forward to seeing more of him. I, like I said, I think in the past, the fact that we only have one Bajoran main character, even though we are on a space station around Bajor, and even though the Cardassians are kind of our main villains, the fact that we don't have one that's more regularly a part of our cast, um, I, I, I. Would, I would try and fix both of those things. I'm glad to hear that this is uh, a character that we'll see more of. So. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, uh, that's going to be it for us. And we will, of course, be back with you next week for episode six, which I believe is called Melora. Okay. So join us next week as we discuss that interesting fun F. Also, a uh, little spoiler there, it will be uh, Dr. Bashir heavy as ah. well. So, um, Look forward to that. Otherwise, we will catch you all next time. Take care of yourselves. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye.